is just no other morning here at Grace Point Church. Welcome if it's your first time. We have the joy and the privilege of having our children's choir this morning. So we're going to invite our first round of kiddos up for the first song. Can you give them a warm hand? Give them a little bit of courage. We welcome, we welcome the clapping and the cheering for them. I remember um, a lot of my, I call it my worship career began when I was about that tall. A lot of children's choirs, lots of me not knowing what was going on and just holding and shaking bells. So this is where it all begins. Um, I look at the journey sometimes and it's crazy to think how far I've come from this. So this is where, this is where it begins. They're going to line up, and they have something special planned for you. Let's give them one more hand. We're going to have our older kids join them now. This is my favorite part. Let's see if they can stand here. 
for any extended period of time. <laughs> And in the same region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, and he will be Christ the Lord. And let this be... And let this be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. What is this?
For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Thank you so much. You guys did such a great job. We're going to have you sit down for this last song with us. My mom insisted on either buying me a Christmas dress every year or making one, so seeing them in their Sunday's best around this time of year reminds me of that. Will you stand with me as we sing this song together? that 
this with me. We give you all the glory. We give you that are willing to hear let us be slow to speak and slow to wrath in these moments and be open to what you have for this season we love and praise you it's in your precious name and the church said amen all right kiddos your parents are going to get you to the places we'll see you so soon thank you for sharing your gifts with us So can we all agree that's a hard act to follow? Yeah, so it's good to have kids. It's good to have adults together uh, for a special season of, of our church, of our lives, Christmas season. Uh, we're calling this Advent season. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent um, before Christmas Eve. And so for four Sundays leading up to next weekend, Christmas Eve is on a Saturday night. We're going to have two services. We want, we want you all back with your neighbors, uh, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. But you know what we don't want to do is just kind of rush into something that has some, some, some power to it, some, some perspective to it. Uh, some people are going to walk into Christmas Eve and, and, uh, and their heart is going to not be prepared for, for that moment. We want your heart to be prepared. And so we're, we're spending a month, four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, to prepare our hearts. You know, we just sang, prepare room for him. And so we're in this Advent season. And so this is the fourth Sunday. I'm going to be lighting four candles towards the end of, uh, of my time with you as we, as we wrap up in prayer. The word Advent means to anticipate. It, it means to look forward to. 
And the way we are doing that is taking a look at uh, a very old prophecy. Uh, God gave Isaiah a prophetic word of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the baby who would be born. 700 years, like 750 years uh, before uh, Jesus was born, God gave this to Isaiah, and now Isaiah gives it to his generation and to, to us. And so in this one passage, we have seven descriptions of this Jesus, this, this Savior, this Redeemer, this, this Messiah, this, this promised one. The first three are more general descriptions, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago, where a baby is to be born. <clears throat> Generally, that describes Jesus' humanity, a son to be given. Generally, that describes his ministry. He, he was given by his heavenly Father. And then the government will be on his shoulders. Generally, that describes the, the authority that will be bestowed on him, where Jesus, after death and resurrection, he says, all authority has been given to me. And then after these three general descriptions we looked at, uh, we are honing in on this Advent season, uh, these four names of Jesus. And uh, we've already spent some time on the first two. And notice they're not just names with nouns. You got some descriptions, some, some adjectives, and we've been taking some time on these. Wonderful counselor, not just any counselor, mighty God. There's, there's, some, there's some power to, to, to God that we can rely on, that we could uh, live in, in, in light of. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the fact that Jesus' name, one of the four, is Everlasting Father. Well, wait a second. You know, is, is Jesus his father? The answer is no. Uh, it's interesting that this, these passages, they give this, this subtlety, uh, inference to the Trinity. Uh, matter of fact, counselor is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus being wonderful counselor, everlasting father, eternal father, uh, even though Jesus is God the Son, uh, the Son of God, he's not the heavenly father of the Son of God. So, so, so what is this about? This is about the, the mystery, the reality of the, of the Trinity. So when you describe Jesus, he's, he's more than a man. And so there's some hints, even in the Old Testament, and, and people read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, and it's interesting, it took like 300 years uh, after uh, Jesus uh, uh, lived and died for there to be literally uh, declared doctrine of, of the Trinity, because they had to fight through it. They had to argue through it. But, but there's, a, there's a Father, there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit, all three. And so literally, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the truth of the Trinity is throughout the Bible, and we see some of that in this 750-year-old prophecy. And so last Sunday, we took a look at how Jesus was not just a, a baby born, not just a son given, but he is mighty God. And so we talked about how our math falls short. 
So kids and adults, we learn math, uh, and we, we learn that uh, 100% of something means that there is not 100% of something that's in that something. You, you can't have 100% man and 100% God in the same bot. You, you can't do that because, you know, it doesn't add up. You, you, so you have to have 50% and 50%. If you reduce the incarnation down to what you can control, what you can understand, you reduce Jesus from who he is. And we looked at that last Sunday where he is all mankind, not mankind, all man, all baby, all, all, all human. And then he's also all God at the same time, even though he, 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 he gave up some of his deity attributes without, without not giving up his reality of divinity. He gave up the all power, all knowing that he had ever since the beginning. So that was last Sunday. So now everlasting father, that's a hint at Jesus is also more than a man. He's part of this trinity. And uh, it's very difficult because like last Sunday, we talked about how we live in 3D. We have this X, Y, and Z axis. We live with shape. We live with, with this uh, with this framework of physical and mathematical reality. And God made the framework, therefore he can color outside that framework anytime he wants. And so again, we only grasp the 3D. He's way more than you and I. He is four, five, six, whatever D out there. And so there is dimension of reality that we do not grasp. So in God's math, 100%, 100%, all God, all man, can equal one, Jesus. And in the Trinity, one, God the Father, one, God the Son, one, God the Spirit, one plus one plus one equals what? One, monotheism, one God. So again, uh, I, I spent probably too much time on this in the first service. Uh, any tree huggers out there? You know, we all like to hug trees every now and then. Have you ever tried to hug a tree that's bigger than, than, than what you can get around? And honestly, when you try to hug a tree that big, it doesn't frustrate you that you can't get around it. You're kind of, I'm glad that there's trees bigger than that. Here's the deal. Sometimes people are frustrated because they can't get their arms around God. And, and what they try to do is either uh, stumble over that, thinking I got to go ahead and, uh, and find a tree skinnier that I can control more, understand more clearly. Uh, or we can humble ourselves, say, God, you're bigger than we. You're bigger than I can understand. And so I'm going to be reminded about that. So this Trinity reality that is hinted at in this prophecy can either cause you to stumble and, and, and distance yourself from this God that you can't fully grasp. How can one plus one plus one equal one? Or you can be humble. Say, God, I, I want to embrace you. I can't understand all of you. I, I can't get my arms around all of you. But therefore, that's a reminder to humble myself before you. And you're more than me. You're larger than my understanding, my capacity to make sense of reality. Therefore, I humble myself before you as my maker, as my heavenly father. We're going to spend some more time on that a little bit this morning. and uh, But it's interesting. So... The Trinity, just like the incarnation, is, is, is more than possible to fully understand because of our limitations, because of the framework that we're, that we're in. Uh, there's something else besides the Trinity and the incarnation uh, that makes it hard to understand. And that is not just 
because it's beyond our 3D reality. There are dimensions of truth and reality that are beyond us that we can fully grasp. But the fact that there's only one God, and so you really can't describe God clearly, accurately, in a helpful way, uh, because there's nothing, no one even close. So you really can't describe Jesus being all man and all God in one body, because there's only one of he. Uh, matter of fact, the, the only, the closest mystery of that is marriage, where you have this one flesh. And, and the Hebrew in Genesis, that's not a sexual term. That's a relational term, where there's a oneness, two coming together to live together and to become something greater together. But you're still separate. You're still separate individuals. So again, in, in the Trinity, uh, I've heard it weakly tried to be more clearly explained. And anytime you try to do that, to try to bring 4D, 5D, whatever D into 3D, you get in trouble, okay? I literally, I was in a youth group thing and someone stood up, you know, the Trinity is kind of like a banana. I thought, oh, here we go, you know? And so it's kind of like you got this one banana, but you got three peels. Ah, yeah. And then you got water, steam, and ice. And this guy went after vapor and evaporative. And I thought, no, no, no. So anytime we try to describe 4D from 3D, we lack it. And so again, let's just be humble that God is bigger and God is more, and we're not going to fully grasp. And may that bring calmness, not distance from the one who loves you. Matter of fact, this morning... Uh, Jesus describes his father. He describes his relationship to his father in such a way that he doesn't want you just to get smarter about his heavenly father, but he wants you to be attracted to be closer. And that's what I want for you. To anticipate this Advent season, to anticipate Christmas Eve, I don't want you just to understand more. And I'm going to give you some words and thoughts this morning. I want you leaving here. I want, you know, I want, to, I want to draw closer to that God that I can't fully understand. That he might just be bigger than what keeps me up at night. And so uh, may you not just get smarter, but, but listen to the words of Jesus that he describes his father in an attractive way. So you don't just know about him, even though you can't know all of him, but you want to get closer. You want to get closer to him. So let me give you a little history of how God reveals himself. So back in the beginning, he made humanity. He made the creativity of this planet. He, he caused it, and now he sustained it. And it's interesting, from the, what the Bible says, invisible attributes of God, based on how he makes the universe, including this planet, uh, we can deduce some qualities of God, namely his, his power and his creativity. Notice what Romans 1.20 says. So for his invisible attributes, not personal, but invisible the general attributes, his power and divine nature ha have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. This is a privileged planet. You have a privileged uh, biology that makes your body. And uh, I just don't have enough faith to believe that this is all an accident and it all just kind of sustains itself from, from chaos. So there is some intelligent design. There is some passionate personal uh, uh, development 
of, of, of sometimes what we take for granted. So the Bible says, you know, so if even without Jesus, even without these prophetic messages that come later, you just look at the planet and uh, you think, gosh, who made this? I mean, th- this, this can't be an accident. And I have a, a little bit of an uh, understanding of biology, chemistry, and math, and I did some of that. And, uh, and man, the antibodies and the proteins and the amino acids and, and all the, the synapses, all the symbiotic relationships that go on, uh, it humbles you that, uh, that we're alive and, and, and we don't fall apart too early. And uh, so, anyway, so Romans 1, verse 20. So then after this, if God just left us there, we'd have some understanding of his, his power and his creativity. How many species of insects and flower, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, but, but God says, I, wanna, I want you to get closer to me, so I want to become more attractive to you. And so from the planet comes the prophets. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, 1, 2, and 3. So now after the planets, God sends messengers, we'll call prophets, uh, truth tellers that, that God speaks to and then God speaks through. And uh, so Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. So long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways in uh, to our ancestors through the prophets. So the idea there of the prophets, um, I would guess the creation, I would say that God shows us his powerful hand, his, his handiwork, what he has made. And then from the prophets, he offers his promised hope, that there's hope coming, the world's falling, people are sinning, people are wandering, but there's one to come, and there's a promised one that you can go ahead and believe in even before he came. And so they put their faith in a coming Messiah. We put our faith in a Messiah who has come, same Messiah. So again, from the planet to the prophets, from this, this, this powerful hand to this promised hope. And now I would say that Jesus lets us see God's personal heart. So more than just this, this general powerful God, he's personal. And this is what the Bible says. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. He speaks for clarity. He's spoken. He, 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 he revealed himself through his son. And look at verse 3. This is the best way to introduce oneself. If you ever wanted to make sure someone really understands you, uh, no one does it better than you, right? So again, other people can try to introduce you, but you're the best introducer of you. And, and God knows that. So after the planet, after the prophets, he comes in the person, the person of Christ. And the sun radiates God's own glory. Love that just shines and expresses the very character of God. So that's why these names in, in this 750-year-old prophecy shout to this mystery of the Trinity and these, and these attributes of God that we don't fully understand. So the New Testament takes on this where uh, uh, the Son radiates God's own glory and uh, Jesus expresses the very character of God. This is the way Paul says it in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2. So Christ, the Messiah, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So God the Father, Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit, Jesus, skin. And and literally, Jesus embodies the glory, the radiance of God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Don't look at all the others that basically all fall short. I think one of the greatest 
catalysts, causes of people distancing themselves from God are poor examples of God, starting with me. And that's why Jesus says, listen, everybody is fallen and, and fails to give accurate representation. So look to Jesus, read the gospels, look at him and understand when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. He's the visible image of the invisible God. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So again, uh, there's a great emphasis in the Bible of looking at Jesus to understand the character of God. And back then and today, it's very important to do so. And the reason is back then and today, there are false narratives of God. Again, most of you, many of you are in small groups in our church. We take three months off of our small groups, and one month off is December. And so I encourage you all to not just do Sunday stuff, do some small group stuff. And we got some fun solitude Bible reading stuff for you coming in January. But if you were still in your small groups in, in December, I'd ask you to think about together, what are the, the primary false narratives or, or false character qualities of, of God? Why is it that most people basically draw away from God and not draw to God? And what are some misunderstandings of God out there? I mean, I had my own. I'm sure there's a few floating in here. Sometimes people take the Star Wars perspective where he's kind of the, the, the almighty impersonal force, both good and evil. And that's kind of an attempt to understand why there's good and why there's evil, because there's one God who's both. It's not true, but it, it's an attempt. Or some, some angry principle there was a couple years in my early days, there was an angry principal down the hall. You never wanted to see him. It's always no news is good news. You never wanted to hear in the intercom, Bobby Johnson come to, no, 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 no. So some, some angry principal down the hall. I don't, God, no. And, uh, or, this, or this judge um, that just can't wait to catch me doing something wrong. I mean, all this kind of stuff, right? Jesus knows there's baggage. Uh, and especially because there's people in authority back then and today, even those who claim to know God and, and represent God, they do it so badly. And so Jesus says, listen, uh, everybody falls short, some more than others, and that's why I chose to come. And so again, that, that's really huge because God knows that there's a need to erase some of these, these, false, these false narratives. And uh, it's interesting. So take a look at Matthew 6, verse 9. You know, Jesus did come to die. Uh, matter of fact, we're going through a Gospel of Mark series. If you're not so new to our, if you're new to our church, uh, if you're not so new, you've been through the Gospel of Mark for now, I think, a year and a half, right? And uh, so if, if you're new, jump on back. And so we're kind of right in the middle of this last Passion Week where Jesus is, is, is about to die. Jesus did come to die, but he did not come only to die. That would have taken in an afternoon. Jesus came to not just be a redeemer, uh, forgiver, but a revealer uh, to help you understand more of what kind of father, what kind of God his father is. And so he brags on his father a lot, not so they can just get to know him intellectually, but be drawn to be closer to him, and Jesus makes that possible. So one afternoon, Jesus is uh, hanging out with his disciples, and, and they ask him, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? You know, we, 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 we know you pray. We know it's a priority, and, and we know what you're like, you're, the calming and the, and the refreshment that comes from those times. So would you teach us to pray? 
and again, we've done studies, and it's a great passage to, to, to unpack. Um, this morning, uh, it's interesting. When Jesus says, well, then, okay, let me teach you how to pray, but first, let me describe who to pray to. So these first two words, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That is a major theme throughout the New Testament. Over 70 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus describes his Father. Did you know that in the Old Testament, Father is only used seven times? So again, for these men and women, the early followers of Jesus, the idea that Jesus being a heavenly Father was not the concept that they would quickly gravitate to. And so uh, Jesus, as the revealer of his father, talks about the qualities, the character qualities of his father a lot. And says, guys, don't, you're not talking to an it. You're not talking to a that. You're not talking to an impersonal force or an angry judge or a, or a, or a cranky principal down the hall. There is a father that wants to listen and share his heart with you. Our father in heaven. And let's just be honest. When you describe God the Father as everlasting Father, there's some baggage to that. Jesus knows that. Anytime that you say, trust God the Father, most of us are reminded that our earthly father had some issues. Not so perfect. Sometimes good days, sometimes bad days. Sometimes consistent, sometimes inconsistent. Sometimes caring, sometimes not caring. Sometimes close, but sometimes when I needed him, not so close. So again, there, there, there's some issues with that. I had some issues, and, and uh, uh, I'll tell you about, about that in, in, just, in just a little bit. Um, but when you think about father issues, that is related also to authority issues, and every single one of us has had authority issues. Some of you, you're living through them right now. And the people over you, the he or she, uh, is not making your life so pleasant. And, uh, and so when we talk about God being our authority, there's baggage to that. No, thank you. I think I'll be my own authority. I think I'll go ahead and be my own reality. I'll go ahead and define who I want to believe in. I mean, you can do that. Uh, but that means you could be wrong. And so God says, I'm not leaving you to guess. I'm, I want to reveal myself. I want to reveal, reveal myself to, to you. So that's why Jesus, every time he talks about his father, he doesn't just say father. He says heavenly, eternal, everlasting. Uh, so again, uh, your earthly father, starting with this earthly father, has their issues. No one's perfect. But let me tell you something. Let's go ahead and share this right now. Let me tell you a mistake that I made early on. I mean, honestly, I, uh, I had to work on, especially when I got married some 32 years ago, uh, I had to work on being less independent than I was for a long time. And so one of the causes of my unhealthy independence was the conclusion that my mom and dad uh, had their limitations. And so when it came to allowances and advice, my finally, I mean, honestly, early on, my dad could do anything. He was Superman. But then soon he was lesser than that, right? Just like all of us parents, early on, your kids think you're all that. Those are wonderful days. They don't last, right? And you can fix everything. You can do anything. You can leap all tiled buildings. And they sleep better at night because you're in the house, you know? And so, again, it's, it's pretty amazing. And then they grow up as you do, as we did, and then you, you know what? 
they have their issues. They have their limitations. Uh, I can't have all the allowances that my, my, the kids down the street have. I, I ask advice, and sometimes they don't know. And so, again, these issues. You know what happened to me when I finally realized that my mom and dad were limited? That fueled independence from me. That, that, that fueled, you know what, then I can't rely on you as much as I would want to. And therefore, everybody's limited. So I can't rely on anybody. So starting on, then I had to rely on who? Bobby, me. I had to go ahead and just make life work because everyone else, including me, is limited, but that's the best I have. See, my understanding of other people's limitations did not lead me closer to God, to be dependent on someone who is not limited, but basically crawl inside myself and become way, in, a, in an unhealthy way, more independent than I was supposed to be. And so again, when I became a Christian, I had to learn to be dependent on God and interdependent on others. And I'm still learning that. Um, but a lot of it had to do with issues of authority. It's interesting, a little context back to Isaiah. So Isaiah, about 750 BC, uh, God gives Isaiah this prophecy about this coming Messiah, right? And uh, 722 BC, according to history, we know this, uh, the top 10 tribes of Israel, the northern section of Israel, uh, were basically defeated and, and basically scattered by the Assyrian army. Uh, about 20, 25 years before that happened, God gives Isaiah this prophecy. And all of these prophecies from Isaiah to, to all these other uh, Bible prophetic books in the Bible, they had one theme, shape up, come back, uh, or you will be shipped out. And, uh, and there's warning to that. Don't take these blessings for granted. And uh, you are living in a promised land, um, but it has a premise to it. And that is represent me well, because the world goes through this land. That's why God chose it. The trading routes, north, south, east, west, all went through modern-day Israel at the time. And God said, I'm going to put you here so that when they travel through, they will see you. And as you represent me, they will be drawn to me. But if you don't, shape up. Quit wandering. Quit worshiping other things. Quit worshiping yourself. Uh, I'm going to humble you. I'm going to judge you for a time. So that, that's what was going on. So uh, 750 BC, God gives this to Isaiah to give to the people. And the Assyrian army is, is, is coming. Shape up or ship out uh, and, and uh, take these warnings seriously. Um, but, but they didn't. And honestly, I think one of the reasons why they didn't is because of the ungodly authority uh, in, in, their, in their land. So literally, uh, after you have Saul, David, and Solomon, three kings over all 12 tribes, there was a split. There was a divided kingdom to the north and to the south. And then on the north, they had their own kings. South, they had their own kings. In the northern tribe, of which Isaiah is being written to, they had 19 kings before they were scattered. Guess how many godly kings of those 19 kings were? Not one. Not one godly king, 19 kings, all corrupt, all using people, not leading them well, all taking advantage of them, all basically leading people astray. And so again, as the leaders go, so did the people. And so many of those people were caught in the wake of their leader's rebellion. And so when they hear, all that to say is this, when they hear, trust God, your heavenly authority figure, 
your heavenly father? Yeah, no thanks. And not only did they have earthly dads with their limitations, then they had an earthly king. One bad king after another. All 19, not one godly king. In the southern kingdom uh, called Judah, they had also 19 kings. But in those 19 kings, they had eight godly kings. And that's why they lasted a little bit longer. And uh, so all I'm saying is you're not alone when you have or had authority issues with people that were more corrupt than, than of good character. But listen to me. Don't let their limitations, their imperfections, drive you away from the God who is not limited, who is perfect. Don't do that like I did for a period of years. Recognize people's limitations. Recognize some, even their hypocrisy as they are in authority. But in their limitations, say, God, thank you that that is not you. And I want to get to know you. And I'm not going to be letting these issues, these pains, these problems, these people keep me from pursuing you. That was, all right, let's get back to this, okay? So again, that's why Jesus spends a lot of time on this. Because people back then and today had authority issues, had father issues. And Jesus says, let me tell you about your heavenly father. He's not like, he's not like the others. All right, let's keep going now. So let's, I'm going to hone in on this father description that Jesus speaks of a lot. Like I said, over 70 times in the Gospels, uh, he mentions his heavenly daddy, Abba, Father. And uh, take a look at John 14, 7 through 9. And uh, he goes, if you really knew me, so he's talking to his disciples after about over three years of, of, of spending time with them, and he's always talking about his heavenly dad, always talking about his heavenly father. And finally, Philip speaks up. Would you, would you introduce us to him? Can, can we see him? This is the context here. You know, guys, if you really knew me, you've been paying attention after these three years, you would already know my father as well. What? From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Where? When? Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that, that'll be enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's that mystery of the Trinity. That is what I've come. I did not come just to die. I did not come just to redeem. But I've came to go ahead and, and describe. I've came to reveal who your heavenly dad is. Not just so you can understand him but to be drawn to him. So Jesus makes him, basically makes him attractive. So here's what I want to do. So if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the 70 times Father is used, let me go ahead and summarize them down to four character qualities, four C's, okay? He is caring, he's consistent, he's close, and he's capable, and the reason why I want you to write these down on your note sheet is not just for you, but for those that you are praying for, hope that you are, that are far from God, that are not pursuing God. Because most likely those that are far from God, that are not pursuing God, they have a false narrative in their head. They have a false image of who they think God is based on a bad authority or figure from their past or present. 
And so again, these can be part of your prayers as you pray for the others, but also what you can understand yourself. That God, you are caring, and you are consistent, and you are close, and you are capable. These are the character qualities that I want to unpack that Jesus bragged about when he was describing his heavenly father. So let's go ahead and let me give you a little bit more of each of these uh, on, your, on your outline. Here's the first one. What kind of a father is God? Uh, hopefully that we will want to be closer to him. Number one, God is a caring father. God is a caring father. The longest sermon summary we have in the Gospels is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So again, you got this summary of a long sermon. You read it, it takes about 15 minutes, but he taught for about five or six hours. Okay, so this is the summary. And, uh, but in this summary, he talks about his dad and, uh, and how caring his heavenly father is. Take a look at uh, Matthew 6, 31 and 32. So don't worry and say, what will we eat? What will we drink? Where will my kids go to college? How am I going to pay for my bills? You get that, yeah? What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Listen, the people who don't know my father, don't know God, keep trying to get these things on their own. And your father in heaven knows you need them. He's not just caring. Don't just, don't know. He's not just uh, knowing but he's caring. So that's the context of it. He doesn't just know, but he cares that you are in need. And so don't just think that God is smart, but he is caring with what he's smart about. That's the focus of what Jesus is trying to say. These people who don't know God, they keep trying to get these things as if no one else is there to provide and help them. But your heavenly father knows you need them. Listen to me. What's keeping you up at night? What's stressing you out? What are you anxious or worried over this past year or this Christmas season? God cares. He's more than aware. He cares for your needs. That's what Jesus is trying to help them and help us grasp. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Same sermon summary. uh, uh, Next chapter. So if you if, if you sinful people, and that's part of this sermon, is you know what? You guys are all fallen. You need forgiveness. So he's not trying to degrade you. He's just trying to help uh, you see you, right? So we're not perfect. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. No one bats a thousand. But this is what Jesus goes here. So again, we're all, you guys are all sinners. You guys have all fallen short. Um, that's why you need a savior, right? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your kids, he says, listen, even you sinners, you have good days. Even you sinners have, have good moments. That's, what, that's, that's all he's saying here. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father, there he goes again, give good gifts to those who ask him. He cares for you. He's aware of your needs. And he doesn't have bad days. He doesn't have off moments. He, he cares. He, he cares for, for, for you. That kind of leads me into the idea that he doesn't have bad moments, that he's not just caring, but he's consistent. You know, it's one thing, if you're just caring, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that, that's kind of scary, right? Because who's going to come in that door? Are you going to be silent or violent? Are you going to be helpful or, or are you going to be that other guy or gal, right? So again, if you're caring inconsistently, that, that doesn't help. 
So God is not just caring, but he is consistent. But let me, let me draw before I get into that a little bit more. Let me uh, connect two things. Your, your anxiety and your labeling God in a negative way. Because those go together. And I want to just summarize a story in the Bible because it's your and my story every now and then as well. Look at Mark chapter 4, 37 and 38. We're going to uh, get back to Mark, but this is one of the stories we've already looked at. This is the story where the guys are in a boat and, and water is crashing into their lives and they think they're about to drown. So they basically get, ma- they, they get angry. Uh, so here it is. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves are breaking into the boat and it begins to fill with water. Some of you, that kind of describes your life right now, right? You know, there's, there's more water coming in that you're willing, that you're able to, to bail out. You're sinking and you're panicking. If you live with that anxiety and stress, you're wondering, God, do you care? Do you even care? If you're able, why aren't you doing something about it? Listen, that's very normal to struggle with that. You're not alone in that. I think that's why this passage is is printed in the Bible. But notice the connection here. But soon a fierce storm came up. Water's filling the water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up. This is kind of rude. Teacher, rabbi, don't you care that we're going to drown? Listen to me. Some of you, you're wondering if God cares. You're wondering if he's even aware. And then, I know you're aware. You know everything. But I wonder if you care. Because if you care, you'd do something about it. You'd stop him or her from doing that to me. Or you, 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 you would prevent this and this and that. Listen to me. Your heavenly father does care. You're going to have to trust him even when you don't feel like it. He's a caring father, and Jesus keeps bragging on that. Here's the second one. He's a consistent father. Like I said, if he's just caring on his good days, but he has bad days, that doesn't help much. Listen to me. God never has bad days. There are days when he'll confuse you. Oh, man. There's some days when he'll surprise you. His ways are higher than yours. His thoughts are different than yours. But we can rest in the fact that God is not just caring, but He's literally caring all the time. That doesn't mean he's always after your comfort. It doesn't. Sometimes, sometimes some pain gets us to go ahead and reroute our actions and attitudes. And sometimes even it's not about our actions and attitudes. It's just about the fallen world we live in. And God will increase your hope for the next season of your life after this, this broken one is over. So God is a consistent father. I had a little fun with this in, in, the, in the first service. You know, a bunch of engineers in our church. I love engineers. They're very technical, very practical, and, uh, and they help think through things really well, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, so I remember complaining to one of the engineers uh, a, a while back why you buy things. Like, again, next Saturday night, Christmas Eve, next Sunday morning, you're all going to unpack presents, and kids are going to unpack presents. And literally, some of those presents, many of those presents are going to break before they should, right? And uh, you think something's going to be consistent, something's going to go ahead and last longer, and they don't. You know why? It's because all the parts are not made out of metal. You have 99.5% made out of durable stuff, and then you got one plastic part. And then when the plastic part breaks, the whole thing, the whole fan, the whole thing, it doesn't work any well. So I was, I was 
just whining and complaining to one of my engineer friends at our church. Like, you know what? I just thought this would last. I got to throw the whole thing out because of this one little part. You know, Pastor Bob, you know what that is? What? That is good engineering. <laughs> what? And he says, he says, seriously, any engineer, any engineer can make something last forever, last for a long time. But the good engineers, they last just short of the warranty, you know, some, something like that. And so, so they, you know, they embed some of these parts that are not as, 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 as amazing. So I was depressed for days about that, but uh, it, is, it, it is what it is. So again, the idea there is God doesn't have plastic parts, okay? So God's promises don't have these, these, these limitations to them. So God is not just caring. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when he's had a good day, but he's, he's, he's consistent. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, and he's made a lot, hundreds of promises in the Bible. For no matter how many promises God has made, I love this, they are yes in Christ. Now the context of what he's writing about to this Corinthian church are the promises about their salvation, the promise about their, their forgiveness, the promise about their, their home in heaven, the promise about the Holy Spirit giving them power to go ahead and get along. So th- those are the contexts. So all he's saying is this, whatever God's promised you about life, forgiveness of sin, home in heaven, power from the Holy Spirit between now and then, all that kind of stuff, they're yes. God can be consistent. You can rely on him. He's a, consistent, he's a consistent father. Let me give you another verse that kind of, uh, it just saddens me because I live it out. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4. You know, we talk about baby dedications. We have a bunch of young kids around our church. I love that. My kids are all kind of grown, and they're, they're all grown, but they're, sometimes they're kind of grown. You know how they, so that's, no, that's, that's a little rough. Actually, two are coming into town today. They're not listening to this. And, uh, but I tell you, there's a lot of times I wish I was more of a grown-up. And uh, a matter of fact, when I look at these verses like Ephesians 6, I kind of moan here. Fathers, do not exasperate your kids. Instead, you know what? Bring them up, not just with your worldly wisdom, but bring them up in the godly wisdom, training and instruction of the Lord. And so I think there's a lot to this, but the idea, do not exasperate your kids. You know how to exasperate a kid? Be inconsistent with them. Have good days and bad days. Uh, let them uh, be surprised in the evening based on how people treated you in the morning. Listen to me. Inconsistent parents raise up insecure kids because they just don't know who's walking in that door. Who are you today? Listen to me. God doesn't do that. He does get angry righteously, but he never stops loving. He never stops caring. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to make always make sense, but he doesn't exasperate you by being inconsistent. And a uh, little bit of a shout out to what's coming in January. We talk about Sunday, small group, solitude. We talk about sharing your faith, serving smart, and sacrificially give. That's our church. That's our strategy. You're going to hear more about that in January. But one of the things we do on Sunday, we're going to go through the book of Mark. Small groups and classes, we're going to have a lot of things for you to choose from. And one of those is a parenting class on Wednesday night. So Rhonda and I are both going to be leading a parenting class with some young families and some older families. It's not going to be just kids that are young. Basically, uh, promises, practices, and principles uh, of, 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 of how we parent regardless of how old our kids are. So you'll hear more about that, and uh, there's some good stuff coming to you. But one of the things that we're going to go after is how can we be more consistent? 
How can we be go ahead and not just keeping changing the rules on them? I mean, how frustrating would that be? Uh, the World Cup's going on right now. Don't tell me who won. I don't want to know. I'm going to watch it later on tonight. And, uh, but crazy, every time you get on the field, everybody changes the rules. How crazy would that be, right? A lot of times we feel that way. Every time you have a new business plan, how long does the business plan last? Like a month? Okay, now what are we doing? Now we're our priorities, you know, just exasperating people. So listen to me, God doesn't exasperate you based on the fact uh, that he keeps changing the rules. He, 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 he doesn't. So let me give you a little more practical look at Luke chapter 6. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. You can on your own. Basically, Luke 6 before Luke 36 basically says there's a lot of difficult people in your life. I would call them EGRs, extra grace required people. We've talked about them. Don't look at them. Just look up here, right? We all have them. But the idea there is literally Jesus said, listen, you get no credit. It's not that impressive if you love people that are lovable. And not the disagreeable ones, not the difficult ones. But listen to me. I'm calling you to show mercy. I'm showing you from my example that you can love even those that are, that, that, that are hard to love. That's the context of this. So the idea there is God can empower you to be more consistent this coming year to not lower the level of your character to the immature people around you. You don't have to do that. Don't let them pull you down. And that's, that's the context of all this. But now look at Luke 6, 36. Jesus said, be merciful even to the difficult people, even as your father is merciful. He's merciful even to the difficult. And uh, give me the last few and then we're going to move on. Look at James 1 and 2 Timothy 2. Uh, Every good and perfect gift is from God, from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, and they're blinking, and they're, and they're moving. Then it says, listen, who doesn't change like that? Who does not change like shifting shadows? That would be exasperating if God was changing just like the stars do. He doesn't. His care, his care is consistent. Uh, last verse, if we are unfaithful, God is unfaithful? No. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. I love that. Sadly for us, when people are difficult, then we're difficult, right? We can be better in, in, in God's power. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny who he is. Let's go ahead and move on. So he's caring. He's consistent. And think about this with me. If you're caring and if you're consistent, but you live a long way away from someone that's not that helpful, some of you, you have grandparents, some of you have relatives, some of you have old friends, and I would say you would describe them, you know what? They are amazing. They care for me, and they're so consistent, but they really can't help me because they live a zillion miles away. Listen to me. It's very good news that God is not just caring and consistent. He's close. He's, he, he's, he's so close. He, he, he knows the details of your, of, of, of your life. You know, there's some people in my life that are caring, consistent. They don't know the details. They don't know, we don't bother them with them. Um, they're wonderful, uh, but I need someone closer. And God says, uh, don't look beyond me. That's the point here. So God is a close father. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Again, this is uh, Jesus. Uh, I don't, verse 5 he says, don't pray like these guys. Don't pray like the Pharisees and, and, the, and, the, and the mask wearers where they just pray not to talk to God but to impress people. So they make sure they pray in public with all these words that no one understands to impress them. 
and, uh, and don't, uh, don't be so showy. That's the context here. He says, don't do that. Now take a look at Matthew 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to yell. You don't have to bribe. You don't have to rattle the curtains. You don't have to make a show. You know why? Because God's close. That's the point here. Uh, you can pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he's that close, will reward you. There's another verse that really actually blessed me this past week because I saw it in a new way. In this context of God being close, uh, I, I think of this classic passage where God knows the, the number of hairs on your head. I know some of you, that's not that impressive. Oh, that's tough. Uh, speak, speak to yourself, yeah? But, but I used to think, oh, God, you know a lot. You know all the hairs on my head, right? I don't think that's the focus here. He is omniscient. I think the focus here is he's close. Take a look. Look at Matthew 10. So what is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? I mean, honestly, uh, you're of much more worth than they, but God knows all the, all the feathers that are represented there. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Here's the point. Look at verse 30. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You want to think about that? You have to get real close to, to know something so minuscule. God is not just caring and consistent far away. That's why I think this Christmas incarnation miracle can shout to you and I that God came here. There's another verse here, Psalms 34, verse 18. I've seen this promise lived out many times over the years at Grace Point Church. I count on it because I'm no one's savior. I've, 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 I've wept with people. I've been with people. You have wept with people. You've been with people. But you really can't heal people. You can't touch their soul the way God can. And I love this passage. The Lord is near. He's near when you need him the most. He's near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of you, that's you. Some of you, you kind of resonated when I read the story about the, the boat that's sinking and the water's crashing in, and that's the year. Some of you, it's not as much physical, it's, it's emotional. Christmas time is a very difficult time. You know that. Suicides go up. Drinking goes up. I mean, just, just uh, emotional anxiety goes up. I mean, it, it's, it, it's hard. It's a hard. It's a joyful time, but it's a very difficult time. Some of you, you're brokenhearted over some things. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to cave in? Are you going to go ahead and look? Look towards him. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So what have we done so far? Uh, caring, close, consistent. Uh, and then here, here's the last one. Capable, Right? Think about that. If you're just caring and you're just consistent and you're just close, but you're weak. Do you know some people like that? I mean, honestly, I know some people like that. They love me consistently and they're close by me, but they're limited. So I can't look to them the way I would want to if they were more capable. 
listen to me, no one is even close to the power that I need than God. So the idea there is everybody else is going to fall short of these four, but only God says, this is who I am. And that's good news for us. So God is capable. God is a capable father. And I've told you before, let the limitations of others not depress you. But let the limitations of others, your mom, your dad, your boss, your this or that, uh, husband, wife, kids, whatever, let the limitations that you are aware of not cause you to be depressed, but be dependent on someone who is more close, caring, consistent, and capable than, than, than they. Don't make my mistake. For years, well, my mom and dad can't come through. No one can come through, so I guess i got to go ahead and come through for me. So I lived way independently, and uh, I needed someone bigger than me. And, man, when I heard the gospel when I was a freshman in college, I thought, that, that's just too good to be true. I knew religion wasn't the answer. I tried it. Some of you know that story. If someone would have tried to sell me religion in college, listen, I've, I've jumped on that train, and I've jumped off. I'm not going back. Don't. Just don't. But someone talked to me about a relationship with God, this heavenly Father that Jesus makes possible, that Jesus described in ways that was new to me. And uh, it... it that, 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 that changed my life. So anyway, let me give you the last couple of things and we'll call it a morning. Look at Mark chapter 14. We're not there yet in our Mark series. So after Christmas, we're going to get back jumping into Mark mid-January when all the small groups and stuff start up. We're going to get here. Let me just not teach this, but let me just go ahead and raise one issue with this. I want you to, to, to see uh, the connection with intimacy with God and God's capability. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to. Because... It, 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 this, this father that is in heaven is not just loving. Jesus was counting on him that he was powerful. And that increased his intimacy. Take a look what he says here. So he goes, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. I just don't want to die that way. I just don't want to go to the cross. Is there any other way to solve the world's sin problem? That's what Jesus was praying. Verse 36, Abba, Father. Don't miss that. It's not just heavenly. It's not just eternal. It's not just everlasting. He's Abba. It's an Aramaic word in this first century in the Palestinian era uh, place. Uh, they, they spoke Aramaic, and, and Jesus did too. And so Jesus uses a very common word, but it's a very intimate word, Abba. He could have used other words. This one is, 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 is Papa, Abba, Dada. Good night, right? So it's a very endearing term. It's one of those terms that little kids use when they are on the mom and dad's laps, embracing someone stronger. That's how intimate this was. Jesus' intimacy, vulnerability, honesty with his heavenly father was about his, his understanding that everything is possible for you. If you want to be more intimate with your Heavenly Father, you need to go ahead and go after whether or not you think He's limited or not. And some of you, you want to love God more. Some of you feel guilty that you don't love God enough. You know what our problem is when we get there? It's not trying to muster up the love, but we need to go ahead and have a greater understanding and respond to that understanding of who God really is. So quit worrying about how much you love him. Focus more on how he loves you. 
and how capable he is, how caring, how consistent, how close he is to you. Reflect on his love for you, and the response of that is going to change your life. The response of that is going to call you to be closer to him. Matter of fact, this is what Paul says. Uh, look, look at Romans 8, verse 15. So he says, listen, Jesus had that intimate relationship with his heavenly father, his Abba. We can have the same thing. Jesus made that possible. The Holy Spirit in us is empowering that relationship. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Quit living in fear. But you received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of, of adoption. That's what the word is, sonship, daughtership, adoption. Receive the spirit. And by him, we cry. There's that word that Jesus used. Abba, Papa, Dada, Heavenly Father. Uh, in a minute, I'm almost done. In a minute, Chachi's going to come back and sing one of my favorite Christmas songs. And I loved how when she said, I'm going to want to sing this, it just really lent itself right into this moment right now. And uh, there's so many stories about how people in the Bible relied on their heavenly father because he's not just caring, close, consistent, but you know what? He's capable. He can do what he promises to do. I think of Mary. You got two Christmas stories in the Bible. You got Matthew and you got Luke. Luke chapter 1, uh, Jesus isn't born, but Mary hears the news that she's part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. This Luke chapter 1, though, good night, right? So it's not that, you know what, Mary, Jesus is coming. He's going to be born, and can I ask you to babysit him once a month on Friday night? <laughs> That'd be awesome. She's about 13, 14, 15. She's a young one, and uh, she's about to be the one that she knew someone was going to be, but certainly not her. It, that was overwhelming. And uh, so an angel comes to Mary in, in Luke 1, tells her the news. you got to know she's overwhelmed. All that to say for this morning is the last thing the angel says to her is what calmed her down. It's what said, prompted her to say, I'm, I'm here to serve uh, let it be uh, what he says. Uh, uh, if God can use me for his glory, I'm all in. But notice what she heard. And this is kind of where I want to go. Take a look at Luke one thirty-seven. For nothing will be impossible with God. Listen to me. The angel spoke that to Mary because she needed to hear it. And that's what calmed her down. Listen to me. Everybody else has fallen. Everybody else is limited, even you. And what the angel told this young girl is what you need to hear right now. Nothing will be impossible with him. I hope you reflect on that this week as you anticipate coming back to a Christmas Eve where this God who sent his son um, is going to be who we focus in on. Well, let me go ahead and uh, answer one last question. So the sermon's over, but I got to ask you a question related to the relationship that you might or might not have. So we spent some time this morning on the character qualities of our Heavenly Father. Here's my question. 
Is he your heavenly father? Is he everyone's heavenly father? Well, that depends on how you define heavenly father. In one way, he is everyone's heavenly father. God is everyone's maker, creator. The story of Genesis doesn't give us all the details. There had to be a bing bang somewhere, right? And, uh, but we do know as much of the fact that he did than the details of how he did it. Uh, but he did it. So regardless of your faith, regardless of your decisions, in one way, he's your heavenly father. He's your maker. You didn't make yourself. You didn't come from just cosmic ooze. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. He's your heavenly father. So in that sense, yes. But are you his son or daughter? Are you in the family of God? The Bible says not everyone who is made by God is in the family of God. Now, here's the deal. Let me just be real clear. You don't get to make the rules. I'm not asking if you like that. I'm, honest, I'm asking is how do you make a conclusion about that? And see, God says, I've made all, but I'm not going to make you and force you to be with me and worship me forever. What kind of cruel God would that be? So I'm going to make you, but I'm going to make you a volitional will. You can say yes or no to me, but I'm already saying yes to you. I love you. Take a look at this next verse here. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Two last verses here. For you are all children of God because I made you. In one way, that's true. But in a very personal way, he says, but not everyone is in the family. You need to be born again, adopted in, be brought in. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's my question for you. I didn't understand this growing up. I was a churchian for years before I was a Christian because I didn't understand the difference. Just because God made you, and just because God loves you, and by the way, you can't change any of those two. It's true. He says, do you love me back? Do you trust me with your life? Will you let my son solve your sin problem? For you are all children of God, family of God, sons and daughters of him through faith in Christ Jesus for what he did for you. And this is what Jesus says, last verse, John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own, his own people, and says, I'm your answer, I'm your Messiah. And many of them said, yeah, no, because you're not routing the Romans. You're not doing what we want you to do, so I don't think I'm going to believe you. We've been walking that through. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all, Jew and Gentile, back then and today, who did what? Not just believe that he existed. Anybody, most people do that. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So are you a child of God? Are you in his family? If I would ask you, hey, are you in God's family? And you would say to me, well, uh, I believe that God loves me, that God made me, that Jesus came and lived, died, and rose again. You know what I would say to you? <laughs> you are halfway there. You are believing what is true. But that belief will not benefit you related to eternity and a relationship with God now and forever if you don't receive what you just said you believe. 
The idea of their receiving is not just believing some idea, but receiving Jesus as your Lord to lead you and Savior to forgive you. Don't miss that. Uh, but to all who received him, you have a heavenly father that loves you, loves you a lot, loves you enough to make a way for your biggest problem, your sin problem, to be rectified based on what Jesus came to offer you, himself for your sin. Don't miss that. You bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity this morning to be reminded of who you are and the character qualities that we uh, have always, I guess, hoped you to be. Father, I pray that more people that are listening and that are here in this auditorium would not just be mildly encouraged, but they would be moved to make a decision to pursue you more starting with the relationship with Jesus the Christ. Father, I pray that you would use these words, use these truths, prepare our hearts for a Christmas Eve celebration this Saturday night. In his name we pray, amen. So here's what I want to do. And uh, Chachi's going to sing about Mary, breath of heaven. Uh, before she sings, I'm going to go ahead and light a few candles. And uh, where have we been? Uh, four Sundays. This is the fourth. The first one, we talked about hope in the dark. We talked about then peace with God that's available in the dark. Last Sunday, we talked about joy. How God can fill us with joy, so much so, Ephesians 3.20, do you remember? So much so that it overflows to the other people in our lives. God will give you enough joy to satisfy your soul and then spill over to other people. Whoop, that was the wrong candle. And then the fourth candle is love. God loves you. He loves you, loves you, and loves you. He's capable to provide for you for whatever he calls you to. That is what calmed Mary down. Nothing is impossible with God. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to believe? What is God calling you to commit to? May your response be Mary's response. May it be to you what you desire. I'll be right back.
That's good stuff. Breath of heaven, light in my darkness. Pour over me with your holiness. Be my strength. Be forever near me. That's what we reflected on this morning. That is not fantasy. That is an opportunity that we can all embrace. That is God's greatest gift. Make sure you don't leave it unwrapped, yeah? Good to see you. Good to be with you. Have a great week. Uh, Go Argentina. I have no idea who won. Don't tell me. Uh, We'll see you Saturday night, either at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m.